Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining me once again on a Sunday morning as we always kick off a new episode. At this time, for you early birders that are up on a Sunday morning, uh, thank you for getting up and thank you for following our podcast. I think I've been saying to you guys over the last week or so, not last week, last few weeks I've been talking about this. And um, according to Feedspot, which is one of the uh, analyzers, analytics for podcasts around the world in all kinds of genres, over like 2 million podcasts they follow. And in the dad category, in the dad category, I Am Dad podcast is number seven out of almost 1,750 podcasts around the world. And so I am extremely happy about that. Now... Let's see that show up in the subscribes. So this is where we're headed this morning, right? And so I've been told by all of my analytic people that I got to promote the thing, and I don't. I'm such a, like, not thinking about that. I'm always just kind of doing my thing and don't think about those other things I got to push. But if you're up early in the morning, you're watching this on YouTube, there's a little subscribe button right below that. Do me a favor, hit that button and subscribe to us on YouTube. Because what my analytics are telling me about YouTube is that 98% of the people who watch the podcast on YouTube are not subscribers. So I need you to hit that subscribe button. And the same thing for those of you who are listening on any other podcast platform, there is a subscribe follow button. Please hit that button because that's what will open up the analytics for us to get to the number six, the number five, the number four, the number three, the number two, and even the number one spot. So let's do this thing. And, and, and hit those subscribe buttons. I want to see these needles begin to move um, over the next few weeks. Um, as always, I always have, you know, just good people on my show. I always love my conversations with everyone that has come across I Am Dad podcast. This gentleman is no stranger um, to my space, um, Mr. Joseph Stiltner. He grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I think he's like a quiet Steelers fan, but we ain't going to talk about that right now. We'll come back at that in a few minutes. But right now, he calls South Carolina home at least for the last 13 years and i'm sure he's gonna stick with the steelers because south carolina ain't got no football team and i don't got no basketball team and so but you know what they got the game cocks and they got dynamic and awesome college teams and so um he is married to macon scarfon is that how you say her name or scarfoni Garfone, <laughs> Megan, I'm just going to call him Megan. And he's got four children ranging from two to 14 years old. And so he has done a lot of stuff. He's been in this space. And most notably for us, he was a part of our dedication um, documentary that we did last year with the National Responsible Fatherhood Clearinghouse. How you doing, Joseph? Man, I'm doing awesome. And, and I'm glad to be here, man. Um, I know God wants me here because... I was out working and my wife told me the power went out 
And it just so happened to come back on at 6.45, and I had to be here at 7. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this is going to be a good one. I know it. Yeah, divine intervention. That's what I'm talking about. So I'm going to say less because we really want to hear from you and I really want people to know you. I want people want to wanting to know your story. Uh, I am about storytelling, you know, on this show. Yeah, we're going to get the statistics out, the research, all the best practices, all that kind of stuff. We're going to get out there. But I like for my listeners to know, you know, my guests to really know your heart, to know why you're in this space and to know why this thing we call fatherhood is so important to you. So like with all my guests, Joseph, I'm going to start here with you. And that is tell me your daddy's story. And you can tell me that story from the vantage point of your of you being a father, or you can tell me that from the vantage point of your relationship, whatever it is with your father, or you could do both. Most people do both. And so it's up to you. What's your daddy's okay. story? I'll do both. I'll do both. So first I want to say being a dad is just hands down the most incredible thing I've ever experienced. And it just so happens lately, I've had a lot of conversations about fatherhood. And I'm glad to do it now on a bigger stage than just me and a couple of my boys. Um, but my father's story is when I was a kid, uh, my father and I, we had a really strained relationship. Um, he had a strained relationship with the whole house when I was a kid. It, and there was things going on, um, you know, they both had, my mom and dad both had their issues between substance use um, the things they were battling. So the house was, you know, I guess you would say it was broken. Um, but my mom and dad, they stuck it out together and they're still together now, uh, 35 years later. Um, but my father and I worked things out around when I was about 26 and we've had a great thing since then. He lives one street over and he's been a great grandfather. And I've got to say, watching him as a grandfather, while he's a father to me still has been like this wild experience because it just has me like I'm on fire about fatherhood, no doubt. But now I'm like, yo, I'm looking forward to grandfatherhood, you know, because my son, he's 15. So, you know, I've, I've got a while to go. That's that's the oldest. Um, but but it's just like, wow, you know, and, and it's crazy to see how he's grown who he is now and who I am and how I've grown to who I am now. We've both been through our stuff. We both came a long way. And my struggle, you know, between going on the substance use at a early age, um, you know, in my early teens, I got on, you know, around with substances, started taking pills, smoking weed, drinking, that kind of stuff. Um, started running around with gangs and just got into a lot of stuff and a lot of it because my dad wasn't there like I needed him to be. And that's kind of what I was seeking, right? That group, that approval, I guess you could say that love um, or or just feeling cared about because I, I, I didn't always feel that, especially from him. Like I can count on one hand how many times my dad told me he loved me when I was under the age of 18. And I can count on one hand how many times he hugged me, you know, so that wasn't there. But mm-hmm. through all the pain, everything I went through from not my dad not being there like I needed him to be, I always told myself, I've got to be better than this when I become a dad. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I fell short of that still. 
And okay. but what happened is, you know, I, when you come, I realized when you become an adult, or more so when you become a parent, it helps you see your parents for through a different lens. You know, because when when you haven't gone through somebody's struggles, it's hard to fully understand them and their why. But when you experience the same things, you're like, okay, I feel you now. My bad. My bad. I got to apologize about some things because I get it now. (laughs) It's important to know both stories, right? And as parents, we got to stop holding off half the story. And allowing our children to be grown before, you know, my mother and I, we experienced that, Joseph, with, you know, understanding something about my dad. I met my dad when I was 23 years old in Brooklyn. Just so happened my mother just ran into his wife at the time, or no, a cousin of his or a sister of his or whatever. And he found out I had just gotten home from the military and they hooked it up and wanted me to, you know, go and see him. He wanted to see me. Um, you know, and shortly thereafter, about a year or so after, maybe a year and a half after, he passed away. And so, you know, when I did my documentary, Spit and Anger, um, you know, it was moving around the country. People were like listening to this thing, watching this thing. It was impacting people like crazy. And one um, time, my mother actually was with me as I was going to do a screening in North Carolina. And I got a phone call from the White House. This was when Obama had announced my brother's keeper. And my film was supposed to show at UNC that night. And my mother was with me. And I said, you know what, Ma? I said, I think you've seen it enough times. I think you should speak on behalf of me. I think it would be a different twist to the story. Yeah. And so fast forward, I go to D.C. She does it. I come back. Um, I get back to the hotel room and my mother is sitting there in the dark and she's like, I'm like, mom, what's up? You know, you good? You good? And she said, I had no idea what you did. She said, I had a sense of what you do, but I really didn't know what you did until tonight as they continued to kind of ask me more and more questions. And I got to apologize to you. And I was like, you know how your mother like, mom, what are you talking about? I'm like, we good. Like, what are you apologizing for? <laughs> And she said, because I should have had this conversation with you a long time ago. And she told me the story of how her family um, pushed my dad out of her life and told him that we didn't need him and had her move from North Carolina to New York. Now, so you're talking about the early 60s. There was no Facebook and Instagram. When people disappeared back then, they disappeared for real. (laughs) Yeah. And so you're gone. um, Yeah. And she never, you know, she never reached back in. She just kept moving forward because that's what her family told her to do. And she said she never understood the impact that that had on me. And so my dad, when I finally met him, and I'm going to end this because I really want to get into some questions I have for you. So when I finally met him, I learned that my dad had seven other siblings that I didn't know about. He was a deacon in his church. He was a Sunday school teacher. He had served in the military and served in the war. And he was beloved by everybody in his space. So on one hand, I was really, really upset that a man like this did not have enough in him to seek me out. 
But on the flip hand side, I was angry with my mother for not allowing me to know him sooner like that. And it strained our relationship for almost a year and a half, two years. We almost didn't talk because I could not let that go. We're good now. And I say that all to say, when you think about your dad now, you think about your reconciliation and you think about you as a young Joseph and now you as a seasoned Joseph and you being able to see your life move forward as you watch your dad's life move forward into looking at his grandkids. Is there a point in your youth relationship with your dad that you have found at times you can't let go? You know what? Now, no. But there was, uh, I, it, I was 26 when I let it go. I'm 36 mm. now, but it took a long time for me to let it go. But now that I have, it's like the most freeing feeling ever. Wow. And because it, w- it was, when I think back, because we've all had to forgive people for things. Maybe someone's taken something from you. Maybe something says something about you. But we're talking about a whole different level of forgiveness here, right? And when I think back to my experience with forgiveness, I I think this was my truest experience with forgiveness, where I fully felt it on just a whole level. Because I harbor no ill will whatsoever. I don't even think about those things anymore. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, and I think what plays a large part in that too is, my dad has replaced all those memories with so many good ones now that when mm-hmm. I think back on him, I can't even go that far back in my mind Nice, because it's been replaced. That's a good, I mean, that's, that's, and that's where we want to be, right? We want to get yeah. there. That's the true journey of forgiveness um, to heal then overcome and then move forward and not to drag that baggage along with you. Now, you, um, the thing I like about your story and even the story that you told in our documentary is you speak very candidly about um, the substance abuse time in your life. Um, When you go back and you think about that, talk to me about the things that were going on in your life that allowed you to be able to slide into that space. Man, I think just being around, I was around broken people at a broken time. So there wasn't a lot of checkpoints or stop points. Um, you know, my parents were both drinking and my going into my teens, my parents were both drinking. They would, um, you know, leave like Thursday, come back Monday. And we were allowed to party and drink and have people at the house. And then, you know, going on and, other, you know, getting older, you know, there was never any like, I mean, yeah, they wanted me to get help and they prayed and did everything they could, but it, it still kind of went on without a hard stop. Like, mm-hmm. yo, you got to stop this or you can't come around. There mm-hmm. was there's never that, you know, but they was dealing with their own thing at those times. And so I get it. But um, going into it, man, a lot of it, now that I, I've been able to really analyze where the substance use came from, a lot of it, man, was the pain of not having my child because my son was born when I was like 21. My son's mother and I were going through a crazy relationship. And it was basically like he was born and she broke up with me. 
Mm. And then still let me see and we tried to make it work and then she shut me out got with another guy got married and basically disappeared with him for six years mm. and during that six years is when my substance use went crazy i couldn't deal with the pain of not having him or talking to him or anything like that. i didn't know what else to do on top of the pain and the trauma and everything from my childhood i was dealing with the pain because you know i i I forget who said it, but I totally agree with it. It was described as when you don't have your child as a father, you're basically grieving the living. Mm. That's how I heard somebody say it. And that, I, I can't think of a better way to describe it than that. And I, you know what I mean? So I just kept getting higher and higher and higher. And then I overdosed and died. You know, I couldn't get any more high. Mm. And it didn't fix anything. I still had the same pain. And you know, I eventually got help. But the one thing, like my mother would tell me, the one thing she told me that really hit me, she was like, okay, you want your son back. You want to see him. This is what he's going to see right now. Is this what you want him to see? Instead wow. of self-destructing and all this other crazy stuff you're doing to deal with the pain and the loss, why don't you focus that same energy on becoming the man you ultimately want to be when you do meet him? And that was like a, a slap to the face, right? I'm like, dang, right? Like, I do want him that bad. But if he comes here, he's going to see his dad sitting here getting blasted, right? Getting mm -hmm. high. Mm -hmm. And so I did what my mom said. And I started becoming the man I wanted him to see and ultimately be. Mm -hmm. And now him and I have a relationship. And, of course, now he's, he's turning 16 in October. And, of course, now it's like, my, me and my dad's situation all over again right now he's dealing with things he's upset with me about and you know what it's a tough situation because it's hard to describe to him about it right i've talked to him about it and did the verbal dance because i don't want to i don't want to say bad things about his mom any boy is going to automatically defend his mom number one <laughs> two it's not good to badmouth the other parent period and the thing is, it's like, it's not like I wasn't there, right? Like she dipped with you. Mm -hmm. It's not, I didn't abandon you. Like, but it's hard to have that talk without pointing a finger. And so I kind of, you know, I have to tiptoe around but, and, and I openly talk to him like, Hey man, you know, if you feel some kind of way, I get it. Let's talk. You know, we've talked and it's still an ongoing thing. I think like me, it's going to take him a while to heal too, but I'm I'm committed to loving him through the process. So the crazy thing is, as you're talking, I just literally just finished um, putting to bed a document that I've put together called Rekindling <laughs> the Challenges of Dealing with an Estranged Relationship. Um, and it's father-child relationship. And it's crazy because I began to write that because I had the same conversation that you're having right now with like two or three of other friends who had, some of them, two of them had children. I didn't even know they had children. And they yep. just, had, it was random. Those, it was random. They was just like, yo, Ken, man. I was like, <laughs> yo, can I talk to you? And I was like, yeah. I got this situation. Is there any advice? And I'm like, man, I hear this story too often. 
And so I took some time. I'm going to share this with you when we're done. I'm going to send it to you. Let me know what you think. Um, And I literally um, sat down and created this whole document from the realest part of myself that I could get to, right, to um, be able to talk about um, the pain of not being able to reconcile um, a relationship with a child. And at the same time, knowing that most of what will occur to the benefit is out of your control. And you have to be in control yet out of control. It's the hardest thing to do, but it can be done and it takes time for it to be done. We don't talk enough about. And then when there's a cycle, right? Because what you're describing is you and him being you and your dad, right? And so the other narrative and story that we don't really know, and you possibly might know, but we don't really know it in his deep infancy which is your dad and his dad's narrative, right? And what that looked like and his dad and his dad's narrative. This can be one of those things that is in this continuous cycle. And what you're describing now is the ability and the desire to break that cycle. So it doesn't happen with his son or his child, you know, to carry that stuff forward. When you were going through, you had something you wanted to comment about that? I was just going to say, man, my mission, period, for the rest of my life, I'm just here to smash cycles, just break them, <laughs> stomp them, you know what I mean, two-step on them. I'm done with them. They need to get out this family. Right. I'm do what I can to, to be the example and carry that flag. And it's one step at a time, right? You can't, what's the old saying? You can't eat an elephant in one bite. Yeah. take small chunks of the bigger elephant in order to be able to take it down. And so I just came from Africa and Kenya and, and that narrative. And I was so jealous of all- those pictures. It's like <laughs> it's on my bucket list to be able to pet a rhino. Like I've been obsessed with rhinoceros since a kid. And when I saw how close you were to one, I was like, next time he goes, I need to go. Yeah, I don't know if that's possible. We'll let you I'm know. Gonna, I'm next I want to pet a rhino. I'm going next year. We're doing to do some fatherhood stuff too. Awesome, man. What, what, I don't mean to sidetrack you. What were you doing there? So um, this was with a good friend of mine, Kwame Alexander, who's an accomplished author. He's probably one of the top children's authors in the country right now. Yeah, I know um, who he is. I mean, I don't know him, but I know his work. Yeah, and so about seven, eight years ago, through another friend, we connected uh, with a project that he was involved in called Leap for Ghana. And, you know, I went, that was my first time going to Africa. And when I went, I actually went to kind of do some, I was with some other educators and people and they were doing stuff around education. And I wanted to do something around parental engagement, around father engagement. So I went along and me, David Miller and myself, we actually, we trained six or 300 teachers in Ghana you know, on methodologies and methods of education. And our task was to talk to them about the importance of both parent engagement and more specifically fatherhood engagement. So over the years, every year I went back, I was getting deeper and deeper into that space until 2018, um, Kwame um, dedicated a library in the village that we were in to his mother. And so, and I was there and I was part of it and I had books then. And so right now my Real Dads Read program is in that village, in that library. Wow. <clears throat> so That's my work up. is always around advancing um, 
parent engagement and more specifically fatherhood engagement and, you know, really trying to figure out how we learn, you know, from what we see in Africa and what's going on here in America. So that was like the ramp up for me. And then this past year he reached out. He's like, yo, Kenny, I'm going to Kenya. And I was like, word, that's always been on my bucket list. He's like, yeah, I'm going to Kenya. I was like, what you going to do? He's like, the same thing we went to do in Ghana. He says, we're going to like teach some teachers. We connected with this NGO, doing some work. He says, I want you to come in and like do some things, but I want you to do the parent engagement and the fatherhood thing. <clears throat> so it was wow. easy for me to kind of climb on because yeah. we had already taken over, <clears throat> excuse me, we had already kind of taken over that um, as a not-for-profit, our international arm was going to be centered around father engagement and literacy. And so it's part of our mission um, and our extended international arm. So it was easy to do Fathers Incorporated there. And we went there and I did the same thing. Um, Taught about 25, 30 teachers about the importance of parent engagement and more specifically fatherhood engagement. Got Real Dads Read clubs now getting ready to launch in Kenya, in the Nairobi area. I'm getting ready to move out. Another NGO has reached out to me since then about coming and helping them do some fatherhood work. This NGO has reached out, wanted to figure out how to increase the amount of father engagement. And so it's just an extension of the work that I've already done. The safari part of it was really just a after we did all the work and worked for like six days yeah. uh, we went on safari yeah. but i'm gonna tell you and that's amazing work man that that sounds i mean that's awesome man that is amazing yeah the safari piece of it though you while you may think that yeah it was just about going and seeing lions and seeing you know all the other things that we saw that was a major epiphany that happened for me being and given this work and that is the cycle of life like everything on this earth has a cycle and it moves in cycles and everything moves in whatever space it was destined to be and so it was interesting to be in the middle of the serengeti or in the middle of the uh masi mahara um with no fences no fences and so you're out there and there's nothing between you and a pride of lions there's nothing between you and a leopard there's nothing between you and a cheetah there's nothing between you and rhino elephants giraffes hyenas all these things that we have all been told are dangerous to us right there's no fences between us yet everything lives in harmony Right. Everything lives in harmony. So when I was thinking and really, you know, contemplating about how I was going to take that messaging and roll it into my fatherhood, the message is really like we allow so many things to become fences in our relationship. Things that people have told us are dangerous. Can't work with the baby's mama because the courts, blah, blah, blah. I can't do this because this person don't like me. I can't do this because I don't have. And we are in this habit of putting fences between us and what the cycle of life really wants us to be able to engage in. And I was like, when I came back, when I'm now that I'm back, I'm really giving some deep thought in how I shift my work to tear down fences. Just like you said, smash, smash, um, Forgot what they call them now. Um, 
<laughs> what do they call when when you curse generational curses, smash generational curses that are fences between us and our destiny, smash you know behaviors, smash you know how we feel about this and smash just to really so that we can get to true family and figure it out how do we heal from all of the old wounds that we have that have literally been created by the fences that we've that we've put up and so it's changed my concept of mine and how i'm thinking about this family stuff and so you'll see that beginning to start moving um, in my work as i continue to move forward and talk more about this but this podcast for me is one of those ways in doing that and sharing stories that was the thing that really stood out for me as i spoke to kenyans and i spoke to kenyan teachers and children um that stories are healing that if you can tell people your narrative and tell people your story they're going to gleam and learn more from you by knowing who you are rather than you telling them what to do yeah totally agree man totally agree yeah so so that was my, you know, that was that was the trip. And so uh, you have now begun or you've, you know, in the past out of this work have also begun to work with dads. Tell me about that. Yeah, man. So I ended up, you know, on my journey, you know, once I decided I needed to become the man that I wanted my son to meet. Uh, part of that journey was, you know, actively seeking change and being intentional about it. And I found a fatherhood engagement uh, organization in my community. And I went there and it was just hooked. Like they had me, I was on fire. And went through there, ended up volunteering after I completed it. Um, volunteered for a little while and got a job there, which was like a dream come true for me. Um, because sitting in those groups and, and hear other guys share their stories and their experiences from so many different backgrounds and cultures. And, you know, it's like, the more you talk to people, the more you find out you're like them. That's, mm-hmm. that's usually been my experience. You know, when you get down to the core values, we're all a lot alike. And the more I talk to people, the more I find that we have a lot more in common than we may think. And, and he, that's one of the things I discovered there. And so I went on to work there and it's, it was literally um, a dream come true. I, be, I was there for almost five years before I took um, a leave of absence. I'm back there now, um, you know, after taking some time to recharge and uh, focus on me. Cause I got a little burnout, man, uh, mm-hmm. which kind of sparked another project. You know, I, I started a business in that time period, um, but through, my um, burnout experience working in a fatherhood organization, you know, because the other thing I found out about this is when I was working with this fatherhood organization, that's when I found out how many other organizations are really working and acting in a community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had no idea there was so much help out there. And I get it, budgets are tight, you know, you can't spend money on marketing, right? But I, I got connected with a bunch of different places and through all the work I did there working with dads and going to the end of the earth with them to help them if they were on my caseload or walked through our doors, I got burnt out. And I had, you know, had to take a leave of absence, right? And it sparked 
a, a thing in me, a little epiphany about the importance of self-care. You know, I kept giving and giving and giving and I was just coming home drained, empty. You know, I was dedicated to, I want to change the world. I want to help people, help dads, giving it everything I got. But I was leaving very little of myself to take home with me. Mm. And it's kind of got me on the self-care journey, man, where I'm looking in all the different ways to heal, all the different ways to be a better me, to take better care of myself and kind of looking at different projects, man, because all the people on the front lines, you know, the people that are helping dads or the people helping moms or people that are mentally ill, you know, anyone that's out there that's working at these nonprofit organizations that are in communities helping people are dealing with immense stress. And I truly believe that if I can work with them on a self-care project and we can get the people on the front line taking better care of themselves, we can truly change the world. Because you know, I thought about how many people that were, I mean, I saw so many people in my own organization that we lost to burnout that were great people that, it, I mean, it, it was bad for the community that they work on because they were so passionate and made such a difference. And I'm just thinking times, that's my city, my little community. Imagine that times the whole country. One of the cool things I like in watching your life on Facebook, because that's kind of how we do, right? We watch people's lives go past us on Facebook. That's but a good way cool to put it, man. <laughs> one of the cool things I like about watching your life, you like a sitcom to me. You're um, I, I binge Joseph every now and then just to see what you're up to. And so I'm in the third season right now. So <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. And so your wife, Megan, she just just something about her presence, bro. Something about like when she looks at you, something about her aura. Something about her just looks like she buys into you 1,000%. Talk to me about how she has supported who you are. Oh, man, it, it's – I'm glad you brought that up. And I was just talking about this um, the other day and to her. Um, if it wasn't for who she is, I couldn't be who I am. Mm -hmm. um, a, a great friend – and he was my case manager years and years ago. He told me that relationships are designed to change us. Mm -hmm. And I fully believe that good relationships change us for the better and bad relationships tend to change us for the worse. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're in a good relationship when you start changing for the better. And if it wasn't for my wife fully standing behind me, I wouldn't be able to do the things I do, you know, and, it, it, it's as simple as that. None of this would be possible if it wasn't for her. Um, you know, she's changed my life the way, you know, she's, she showed me what love really is. Um, you know, we both had to work through a lot of our past traumas together, mm -hmm. right? Because, you know, our, your past stuff has a way of affecting current relationships if you don't deal with it. And so we both came with a lot of baggage. Like we went to Africa and, mm -hmm. um, we had to unpack that and work it. And she was committed to helping me unpack my bags and I was committed to helping her unpack her bags. And the thing about it is that the commitment from the beginning was I'll never leave and you'll never leave. And we got married and, and we believe that to be true. Right. And I do everything I can to, to love her in the best way possible because I've got, you know, I've got two girls in the house now, you know, three year old, 
Uh, Livy's three now, and Josie is eight. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've got, you know, the Ralphie's in the house. My oldest son comes down and visits all the time. So constant eyes are on. They look, you know, I always looked at how my dad treated my mom. Mm-hmm. And I know kids watch that. And so I, I know I, you know, I've got to set an example. So my daughters know what love looks like and what they should expect. And same for my son. So he knows, you know, what it looks like for how he should be. But most importantly, so my wife knows that she's honored, right? And the thing is, I was talking to friends the other day about this, man. Like, I get immense joy out of being a provider, right? Um, I, I love, today it was, felt like it was 110 outside. I love every minute of being out there because I was taking care of business to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, I love the purpose it gives me knowing that, um, my house depends on me and it, it's that kind of nag like yo you always got to do right you can't mess up there's too much on the line mm-hmm. can't go backwards man are you harder on yourself than most people you believe most people are oh man yes <laughs> yes yes and to and my wife telling me i gotta let that go but it's just Man, I felt like I wasted so much time. It's hard not to feel like I'm playing catch up, mm-hmm. you know, because there's there's a lot, you know, if my life was a timeline, there'd just be like this huge blank spot, right? <laughs> Between like 15 and 26, mm-hmm. you could just put a smoke cloud there. And that, that's a lot of time wasted. You know, those years are important, right? Because not all 10 years are the same, right? There's a big difference between 80 and 90, that gap and say like, 14 and 25. Right. We're talking about a developmental gap as mm. opposed to, you know what I mean? So those mm. 10 years that I lost were crucial, man. That's the years I should have been building my foundation and preparing for a wife and kids. But I did everything out of order. I had the wife and kids and then I had to prepare a house and grow into being a provider and grow into being the kind of husband that honors his wife in a godly way and and teaches his kids to do so as well man i had to grow into this and luckily she's been behind me to hold my hand and grow into who she's been too but it's awesome man i I couldn't do it without her yeah you um in the dedication video you know everybody is always praising you know your contribution to that documentary but Darrell and Quintavious and Juan all of you guys kind of equally you know shared yourselves in that documentary but there was I one love thing their videos I love them I love their <laughs> videos. yeah there was um uh, but there was one thing that you talked about in there that struck me it was kind of a quiet we didn't really emphasize on it a whole lot but we did actually capture some visual actualization of what you were talking about and i used to always think about this and i wanted to talk to you i asked you this question you know around the guilt factor um when it comes to finally getting it right or at least what we believe is getting it right and how that looks to the child who didn't see that right having a a a, a guilt about how well you are treating your children now and having your child that never saw that have to see that and to how do you reconcile those two things so that they don't 
begin to start believing that, oh, wow, he loves them more than me. It's not that the you that you didn't see wasn't me that I am today. It's kind of hard to explain that, but can you talk about that a little bit? It is, man. And and that's something that that I always carry with me. That's always there. And one of the, I mean, I've, I've, I've got a multitude of ways that I'm using to to deal with that. And one of them is if I buy one kid a pair of shoes, they all get a pair of shoes. If I do one thing for one, they all get it. And it may not be the same thing, whatever's important to them, right? On the same scale. And with my son, active conversations. He doesn't bring it up, but I know he notices it. And I tried to talk to him about it. He's like, oh, no, no, everything's fine. And maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm thinking more about it than he is. But I'm always thinking about it. So it's like, you know, one thing my mom told me, you know, when we were little, I used, you know, I'd always be like, because I got got a sister. It's me and my sister. And I'd be like, you love her more. And she'd be like, no. My sister would say, you love Joey more. You know how kids are. And one thing my mom told me, she was like, if every kid is saying you love the other one more, then you're doing something right. If it's just one saying that, you need to look at what you're doing. You know, so, and and that's something that's, you know, something simple like that, but it stuck with me. I, I, I make sure I can spread everything equally. I've apologized for who I was in the past. And I say, all I can do is is my best to move forward and give everybody like the little puzzle pieces that make up me equally as I can. And the, it, it may never be enough, but I believe at the end of the day, effort matters, right? And so I, 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 just, I just got to do it and hope it's enough in the ways that I do it. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, as a child, you can never see the differences, right? And so all of our children are different. Like they receive differently. They need yeah. different wow. differently. They, you know, they they do everything differently. And it can look the same kind of love that you give one child can look totally different in how you give it to another child. And and kids yeah. don't know how to analyze that. And because they just see what they see. Yeah. Right. They just see what they see. So as we close, I want to talk about this. You got this entrepreneurship thing going, bro. Talk to me about how that feeds into all the things that Joseph is. How are you managing this entrepreneurial uh, motor that you have inside of you? It, you know, I, the, I just feel like I found myself and I found, you know, what I've what makes me tick and happy and fuels me. Um, you know, I've always, ever since I was a kid, I would tell my mother, you know, I want to, I want to be rich. I want to be a businessman so I can, I want to be rich so I can help people. I want to own an empire. I would always tell her that as a kid. And I've, that desire was always there. I've always enjoyed reading about businesses and, um, I'd always think about business ideas and it was always thinking ideas, right? You know, I was too busy doing other things to actually act upon anything that I thought of. And I became a man of action 
and I've acted on the idea that I had and it worked out and I've heard, you know, I'm a man of faith. I've heard God clearly say, I will continue to bless your business as long as you continue to live righteously. And that's what I've been doing. And here we are 15 months later, things are going more, I mean, better than I ever imagined. But the thing is still true though, is I want to help people. And there's a helping element in my business because some of my clients are elderly, disabled, physically unable to do the task that our service does. So there's, you know, a helping angle there, the self-care, you know, it's there. I'm just looking at ways that I can solve problems and help people through that way. And it's just, man, it's great finding like, you know, when you feel like you found your thing, you know how that feels, right? Because it it looks like you certainly found your thing, man, because watching your Facebook, you living the life, man. I look at like, I love, I love when I get the chances to, to talk and interact with you and Patrick and some other guys, man, because y'all are people I look up to. And um, I I think y'all are just amazing men, you know, and fathers and and businessmen. And I mean, just the dedication y'all have to to fathers and families in general is amazing. And watching the different ways that you do it creatively and find ways to reach people where they're at and keep up with the times. It's amazing. Y'all like, I don't know how y'all have time to do any of the things you do. Um, and especially be able to do them all at such a high level equally, man. I, like I maybe do like one or two things. Great. I don't know if I can do 15 great. Like y'all do. I don't know if they all great. Um, they, <clears throat> You know, like the the last ones, you know, you might see a little drop in quality. Right. You get past yeah. the first three. But not seriously, you know, I, I love watching you guys, man. Yeah, I mean, that's a I, I I feed off people's stories and and watching them and what they do. And and I love it, man. I'm yeah, happy to be a part of it. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, you talked about this earlier, and that is at the core of who we are, we just want to be servants. We just want to serve. Like, and so whatever gifts and talents that God has given me to be able to do that and and the quality of life that he has given me and the the trials and tribulations and triumphs and accomplishments that I've had, they all add up to who I am and what it is I do. And so my wife always says to me, babe, you make things look easy. And I said, but they're not. She says, I get that. She says, but you make things look easy. And I said, because that's, I'm, that's because I'm prepared. I've been prepared. Like, it's not easy, but it is easy for me to do because I've been prepared. And so nothing that I do now is outside of the scope that I've been prepared for. I always tell people, like, you know, for 15 years, I was in radio. And people like, yo, how do you do videos? How do you do photography? How did you? I was in radio. I also published a newspaper for seven years. So my ability to communicate comes from all of that learning 
and yeah, it's really, really easy for me, you know, because I understand this stuff. You know, we're looking at this emergence of AI, right? And everybody's going crazy about AI and its relevancy and its credibility and all those kinds of things. And I'm just like, I'm in it and I'm in it and I'm deeply in it. And people are like, how do you learn this stuff so fast? Like my academic background was computer science. All this stuff is, is code. It's yeah. just a way to run code yeah. and understand code. I understand it. As, <clears throat> I was like, I told somebody the other day, right. I said they were talking about evolution. And I was like, you know, a lot of people are kind of talking about this and talking about that. And I'm like, and all these people don't remember it. And I remember it clear enough. My first computer was run on a software called MS-DOS. And in order yep. to get that computer to work, you had to code to get it to work. Yep. Right? So when you're sitting down and you're running Microsoft and blogs and all that stuff, what you're not doing is having to code it. But I understand what the code looks like on the entire. AI is just a more sophisticated highly sophisticated mechanism of coding and in order to work it you have to understand coding but because i'm so comfortable with it i can sit and i can watch x's and o's and dots and commas and hashtags and this and understand that i can write a 25 piece of 25 letter code and if i have the period in the wrong place it's not going to work and to analyze it down to that level and be able to see that minutely that whoa i see what's wrong this is a zero, not an O. And I got to change it to a zero in order for it to work. And so evolution is something that's a part of who we are. And the same way that we have to evolve with technology, we have to evolve in the same way with family. Right? We have to evolve with all of this stuff. And as human beings, you know, we have to evolve in a way that we make it very clear that at the end of the day, the primary purpose for all this work that we're doing is for the health and well-being of our children. That's it. Yeah, that's it. it. I mean, that's exactly what it boils down to because one thing I've always said and one thing I've always told the guys on my caseload is you can't be a great dad if you're not a great man first. Yes. Yes. You know, you, you can't be a great brother or a great uncle or – you if you're not a great you first. Right. And right. I, I've noticed that everybody tries to be everything else and they skip that one step. You first, right? right. You've got to be great first. And that, and that's really what put me on the journey is I wanted to be better. So it's like, hmm, how do I do it though? I didn't have like the examples of it. I, I seen what not to do, but you need more information than what not to do right that that just tells you what you can't do that doesn't tell you the proper ways to do it though and, and that's what i had to learn because you know ultimately you know you're got an education background i can't teach things i don't know about you know i can't go teach a class on you know forensics if i know nothing about it and so i can't teach my kids um, you know, things like accountability um, or, you know, growth or understanding themselves or building up self-esteem, you know, all these things that they're going through as they age and progress. I can't teach them these things if I'm not learning and growing myself. Like you said, I get, we got to keep up with the technology, too, but also 
kids are going through things so much earlier. You know, you got to have an ear to the streets. You know, I've got nieces and, you know, I got little kids I can tap into, you know, like, hey, what's seventh grade really like these days? Because it's not like seventh grade that you and I experience. Yeah, absolutely. So if you could give a piece of advice to a young dad that might be struggling, particularly those that might be in dark places right now, looking for that light, looking for anything that's going to serve as a lifeline for them to climb out of whatever situation they believe has them locked down, what kind of advice would you give them? Uh, to, to a young dad, I, w- I would just tell him, um, you know, this is we owe it to our kids to give them a childhood they don't have to recover from. Every investment in ourselves is an investment in our future, our kids, right? And it's hard to think beyond yourself when you're in a dark place. So that may resonate with a dad, it may not, depending on how dark of a place there is. So I'll say something else also. It comes down to this is it's easy to sit and suffer in silence. That's easy. You know, we as men, oh, I'm tough. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to say anything. Everything's nah. I'm okay. I'm okay. How you doing? I'm okay. Nah, man, there's no honor in suffering in silence. Mm. It's easy to do that. It is easy to stay in your house and sit there and, and be depressed and whatever. It's as far as I'm not minimizing depression when I say that. So follow me through. It's easy to sit there and suffer. It's hard to ask for help. It's hard to be like, yo, man, I need help. I'm in this place. That's hard. Asking for help, you know, and when I went to a fatherhood organization was up there with the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Because my whole life I was conditioned to never one talk about our family. What happens in our family stays in our family, number one. How do I get help if I can't talk about what hurt me? So, but asking for help was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And that's the hard part. But if you're still here, you want to live more than you don't. I put it like that. Ask for help. There's tons of resources out there. There's people, if you want to talk to someone who looks like you, they're there. If you want to talk to someone different, they're there. People, there's more people than you could ever imagine that dedicate their life every day they wake up to helping you in the situation you're in right now. You're not alone. Great advice, bro. Great advice, man. I love you to death. And as my bishop, um, my chair, Bishop Ferguson always says, um, I love you to death and there the damn thing you can do about it. And so, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I feel the same way, man. Likewise. And you're a brother for life, man. And whatever I can do to help you, you know, move whatever it is you need to move business, you know, I'm just a phone call away. And so I might I see. I appreciate you. that, man. I, I do got an idea you might like. Okay. We can share that, talk offline. Definitely, about- definitely. And so, but, you know, my thing is you prioritize what's important to you. And I prioritize helping people um, that genuinely need it and and genuinely want it, right? And so, um, and that are willing to to pay into themselves, however that looks. However you, you, you talked about this earlier, 
however you pay into yourself, like you have to invest in yourself. You can't always seek for people to invest in you if you're not willing to invest in yourself. And what yeah. you've talked about is those things that you've done to invest in yourself, which makes it easy for me to want to invest in you when I've seen that you already have the capability and desire to invest in yourselves. And so thank you so much for joining me. And thank you to all of our I Am Dad podcast listeners. Um, Again, don't hang this up without hitting that subscribe button, either on YouTube or on whatever other podcast platform that you happen to be on. Um, And I'm going to be pressing this for the next couple of months to see if we can get those numbers up so that we can catch up and get to those upper six, five, four, three, two, one spots um, across the world. Thank you so much. I'm Kenny Braswell, CEO of Fathers Incorporated. I love you. See you next week. Peace out. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time. I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things because of this reminder. I will always understand that I am dad, period.